Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to... Goes to... My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. Where shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Could have been a contender. Fasten your seat. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer, kid. Oh, really? Love is, is Love. too weak a word. I loathe you. I loathe you. I love you. I did as you said. If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Let's back it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie! Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to The Shape of Water. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number one of the next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia, and joining me today, I have the OGs, Will Mavity. What's up, guys? And Michael Schwartz. Hello, everyone. But we are not alone. Last week on episode 100, one of our most well-received episodes of all time, I have to say. Thank you, everyone, for your kind words. Um, We introduced some brand new members to the Next Best Picture team. And this week, we have one of those new members on the show with us. So everyone give a very warm welcome to Celia. Hello, Celia. Hi. Okay, now, Celia, I apologize because last week on the show, I mispronounced your last name and i feel terrible about it <laughs> oh no it's fine i didn't i didn't even bother saying it again just now so i want you to clear the air with me and with all of us and i want you to say your last name for us my last name is schleckaway schleckaway yes okay what's you got the background to that um that- it's german German. I think I said Shalekway. I, I think I think that's what I said last week. Yeah, yeah. I think you just added an extra e in there, but mm-hmm. overall, like a great first attempt, truly. Okay. All right. Well, now suddenly I don't feel so awful about it. Well, why don't you tell everyone where you're from, and you know, a couple of you know, a, a, really anything, anything you're willing to share. Ultimately, just so that everyone gets an idea of who Celia Shalekway is. Um. So. I live in Seattle, Washington currently. Um, I'm 22 years old. I got really into movies, honestly, as a kid. It was how my parents kind of, I grew up in a small town. I didn't grow up in Seattle. I just live here now. Uh, And it was kind of their way of exposing us to things that we didn't get exposure to just in our environment. And it kind of became like a common vocabulary for my whole family to use with each other. And so, yeah, when I moved to college, I just decided this is going to be a thing that I get into. (laughs) (laughs) And so, yeah, started writing about movies a year ago just for myself personally. And we've been following each other nearly that whole time. Um, And yeah, here we are now. Nice, nice. Um, I'm going to come out with the uh, the tough questions. So um, let me first start off by saying Moonlight or La La Land? Oof, oof. Um, I enjoyed La La Land more, but I was happy Moonlight won. Does that count? That's a 
Very, very, very diplomatic answer. <laughs> I've been living on a college college budget. I I, I didn't have movie pass. <laughs> <laughs> well, we will not have movie pass much longer. Let me tell you. <laughs> that's true. That's true. The way things are going right now. So, so what are some of your favorite movies of all time? Would you say? Um, well, my favorite movie of all time is Moulin Rouge. Oh, uh, yes, I know. I'm a big musical fan. I pretty much any musical I enjoy. Um, and then it's really easy for them to make it up into my favorites. Like La La Land, I would count as one of my favorite movies now. Mamma Mia, um, here you go again. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet because my mom uh, pr- made me promise that I wouldn't watch it without her. <laughs> and I'm going home, uh, to visit my parents next weekend. So I'm going to see it with her next weekend, but trust me, it's taken like every ounce of personal strength, not to go to the theater and watch it immediately. I did love the first one though, even though it doesn't make any sense. It's a classic. <laughs> <laughs> I tried watching it with a friend of mine a couple weeks ago and Every time any plot point happened, she was just so confused. And I was, I just had to say, this is, this is the point. The confusion is the point. <laughs> That's the fun. I, I think I need to revisit the first Mamma Mia. Cause mm-hmm. after talking to Michael Schwartz for two years and having to listen to him nonstop, tell me how great this movie is. It's not that it's a great, great masterpiece. It's just, it's so entertaining. Fun. Meryl Streep yeah. is having the time of her life. It is just a fun, fun movie that I could watch anytime it's on. I've probably seen it like 20 times in the 10 years that it's been available. You honestly. can't, yeah, you can't watch it with an analytical brain. You have it, to it's just, just fun. Yeah, you have to just animal, animal style enjoy the, the colors and the music and the. And Meryl smiling. jumping off a dock. Yeah, exactly. All right, so maybe my analytical brain just will never be able to compute. Maybe. What makes Mamma Mia so great? Mamma Mia is too complex yeah. for you, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> alrighty, alrighty. Michael, Will, any questions for Celia? Was not prepared for this, so you already have favorite movies. <laughs> uh, how about favorite actors or actresses? Oof. Um, gosh, I feel like all my answers are going to be so basic because I've just been. Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep is amazing. There I've we loved go. her for a long time. <laughs> I've loved Emma Stone. This isn't just a La La Land opinion. I've loved Emma Stone ever since Easy A. Um, I remember what about a lot. Of- Zombie Land. Come on. Uh, <laughs> I remember a lot of Friday nights uh, sitting at home in high school watching Easy A over and over and over again. Uh, again, Ryan Gosling and the Nice Guys convinced me that he was incredible. I weirdly like Jesse Eisenberg. I haven't seen Zombieland, don't yell at me. But I weirdly like Jesse Eisenberg a lot. I know he gets on some people's nerves, but I like his performances. So Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice is okay in your book? I don't care enough about it to really like get in the fight. <sighs> I'll let other people just, who care about I it fight about it. A huge sigh of relief. <laughs> All right, uh, Celia, your favorite bad movies oh no well does mama mia count <laughs> no mama mia is not bad mama mia is not particularly good it's not bad i want bad oof um gosh that's such a good question i'm looking through my google sheet right now that i have like all of the movies i've ever seen you, on you it you could just default and say to room as an easy out i don't even know i think every movie is like at worst average it's hard for me to pick like a bad movie that isn't something like the room or something like that actually you know what you know what i'm gonna say 
I enjoyed the the Amazing Spider-Man movies. Oh. I actually thought the first one was pretty solid. I think I just liked Andrew Garfield. Like, they came out during a time when I was like... It had nothing to do with a certain actress named Emma Stone, right? Honestly, ah! no. Because she wasn't really in them that much. <laughs> like, you couldn't really judge the movie. And they, then they killed her. Yeah, they did kill her. Spoiler alert. Jesus. Yeah. Five yeah, years spoiler later. Spoiler alert for a movie that came out in 2014. Yeah, well... No one really cares about those movies anyway. They're not even canon at this point. <laughs> no, so they're weird. not. Like the the Tobey Maguire ones are more canon, even though like Marvel totally took Spider Man back. Yeah. Crazy. Oh my god. Maybe also Spider Man Three. Have you guys seen that clip of the him dancing through the street? <laughs> Have I seen no, it? Only only a hundred times. <laughs> it is so funny. It's so funny. You know, I. <laughs> I was so excited for that film. I went to see it at midnight, the night it opened. It was one of the last movies that did a true midnight release before they're like, let's do 7 p.m. on Thursday. So it was like (laughs) midnight. Everyone's hyped. We're in there. Um, People are chatting to each other. And then I was I was so pissed. I was livid. I had I had thought that maybe this could be the Spider-Man film to finally break into like the best picture lineup and stuff. I was like, Spider-Man Two was so good they could only go up. I still <laughs> feel personally violated by that movie. You know, it's another thing too. I always had this like expectation, and I, maybe I should have learned my lesson with the Godfather Part Three. But after like Lord of the Rings culminated with Return of the King and it won those Oscars. I used to get this feeling that if the first film was good, the second film was better, the third film was going to be like some Oscar juggernaut. So like Well the Bourne movies prove that. Yeah, no. I mean yeah. like the Bourne movies did it that same year. Yeah, and then like but like things like Pirates of the Caribbean, the original trilogy, like I when you got to the third film, you were like, oh my God, it's going to be so incredible. And there's such a tendency with especially like the big Hollywood studio films that try to do trilogies they tend to buckle underneath the weight of their own excess within the third film. They just try to do way too much, bloated run times, uh, and it just doesn't end up working as well. Unless it's Transformers Dark of the Moon, because that's, oh. that's a classic right there. God. Oh my that's gosh. a joke. I hate that film. See, see, I think like the first real series that I moved, I mean, other than Harry Potter growing up, that I was actually truly into was, spoiler alert, as a young teenage girl, I liked Twilight. Ah! I don't think I was ever uh, confused about the idea that just because it's in a series that you like means it's going to be good. <laughs> no. The, you want to talk about a film that's actively bad, but people still enjoy because of how awful they are? That is, yeah. I think, one of the default answers. Number three in that installment is the best in the series, though. It's the one David Slade directed. Yeah. And it feels the closest to a real movie. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, certainly better than Breaking Dawn Part 1 and 2. I saw that is th- uh, the third one, then both Breaking Dawns in theaters. And, I mean, not to spoil it, because this is a six-year-old movie at this point, but in Breaking Dawn Part 2, when there's, like, that sequence where everyone dies and then you find out that it was, like, a vision or something... I the was so the oh row God. of high school girls sitting in front of me were screaming and crying and like having panic attacks, and then you find out that it's uh, it was just a vision, and they're like, "Oh my God!" and they started crying again for whatever reason. <laughs> that was also one of the weirdest double features I ever had because I saw that right before I saw Lincoln on the same day. 
What a bizarre double feature. That's tonally similar, for sure. <laughs> All right, so we have a couple of things that we want to uh, talk about on today's episode. Some trailers to discuss. We also have some news pertaining to the fall film festivals as well. Very, very exciting as we gear up for the award season ahead. Celia, hope you're buckled in and you're ready for quite a ride because... We had announcements this week for both the Toronto International Film Festival and the Venice Film Festival as well. And there's a lot of news to take away from this for sure. We don't yet know what is going to necessarily be playing a Telluride, but we can kind of guess a little bit based upon uh, some of the news that initially did come out. Uh, Will, I'll let you actually take point on this. Um, so what are some of the big, big takeaways from both Toronto, Venice, and I'll just add a little aside, even though it wasn't a full lineup. Um, they did announce that Roma and the favorite would be going to uh, New York film festival. So the big takeaway is that Roma's playing everywhere. So Netflix film or not Netflix film, that is unheard of for film to do every film festival venice telluride tiff uh new york so i think that is a big factor we need to consider that this could be a major what what do you ultimately take away from that like what do you think that that's a sign of do you think they're trying to overcompensate or do you think they're very confident in the material no i think netflix is very confident they try to take it to can too and you don't think this has anything to do with lisa tayback moving over to netflix and really trying to push this hard do you I think a lot of what Netflix has been doing has to do with Lisa Tayback. I think the fact that we saw The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, what we previously thought was a Coen Brothers TV show, is premiering as a feature film at Venice, uh, all of a sudden makes you wonder, oh, maybe Lisa Tayback said you want to get an Oscar, bring in the Coen Brothers. You know, like Lisa Tayback, as I described in an article, is, for those who don't know, the John Wick of award season campaigners. She oversaw all of the big Weinstein company campaigns for things like Shakespeare in Love and the King's Speech and Artist, uh, the English Patient. She's overseeing the campaigns of eight Best Picture winners. When she left the Weinstein company, she went freelance. Most recently, she's been the person who A24 used to run their campaigns for things like, oh, a little film called Moonlight that pulled off an upset Best Picture win room, stuff like that. She also was Open Roads uh, campaign supervisor for Spotlight. She is astonishing. And she just brought her entire team in-house to Netflix and signed an exclusive contract with them. So not only will she be overseeing all of their upcoming releases, but she also has just taken herself off the menu for all these other companies who are now going to have to use their own, find somebody new to campaign their stuff. Like A24 was using her for everything. Yeah. And then not only that too, but also Netflix, uh, they also have the new Paul Greengrass film, which we previously thought was called uh, Norway, has since been retitled to 22, 22nd, not sure yet, July. Not that that's the full title, not sure yet. 22nd July (laughs) would be the uh, title. There's also, obviously, if it's good, we have Orson Welles' final film, The Other Side of the Wind, which... With Peter Bogdanovich. And John Huston. Houston. Um, Houston. Houston. John Houston, excuse me. (laughs) Regardless, it's packed full of recognizable directors. People have been wondering about it for 40, 50 years, and it's finally getting released this November. 
Um, and there's a documentary premiering at Venice about Orson Welles, directed by Morgan Neville. Blom. <laughs> that all gets very meta. All gets very meta. Um, also want to mention, it may suck, but Dis- uh, Netflix threw $120 million at David McKenzie's The Outlaw King. And it's basically if you stretched the epilogue of Braveheart into a feature film and made Ben Foster and Chris Pine do Scotch accents, then you'd have this film. So there's a world where that's good. We have an article about all of Netflix's Oscar slate. You should go read, though, honestly. No, a couple of other things to to point out. We have new films. Uh, this I'm looking at Venice right now at the moment. Uh, we have new films from Jennifer Kent, uh, The Nightingale. She was the director of The Babadook. So it's really, really uh, exciting to see her come back uh, with something. We have Laszlo Nimes, who won the uh, Oscar for Son of Saul a few years ago, coming back with his follow-up film, Sunset. Julian Schnabel who did The Diving Bell and the Butterfly, had himself quite a huge year, coming with a new film as well called At Eternity's Gate. I mean, there is a lot of very, very interesting stuff that is playing um, both at Venice and when you move over to TIFF, I mean, it just, it, it gets huge. It, it, it's like, it's like what's not playing at TIFF? You know, that that's really what the game becomes at that point. You know, we've got... Life itself. We have a star is born. We have widows. We've got beautiful boy. We have uh, burning, which did really well. It can cold war. Another can title. Um, the front runner is going to be over a tip. That's Jason Reitman's second film this year. That's going to be good. Do do we know that? No, but I think we feel it's Reitman seems like he's in the middle of his comeback. The the writer who wrote the book is fantastic. Matt By. I'm very confident. I've been confident in this project since it was announced. If Michael says he story. called it today, I called it before today. I called it before the film was greenlit. You did. <laughs> you, you're the one who actually just even said to us in general that this story should be made into a film. And then sure enough, later. During election 2016, and then they announced it. Yeah, I was like, why haven't we had a Gary Hart movie? Exactly. Uh, so, I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. The Old Man and the Gun, Robert Redford's uh, final film, directed by David Lowry, is going to be there. We're not getting anything from Focus, though, are we? We're not getting Boy Race. We're not getting Mary well, Queen of Scots. Here's my theory on that. I think we are going to see a few Focus titles, but they're not going to be announced until the second or third round of Toronto Picks. Because apparently, I forget the name of the uh, section of Toronto, but they have something for like emerging directors or emerging artists, like new mm-hmm. directors on the scene. And Josie Rourke is making her uh, film debut here after working at the Donmar Warehouse in London. So maybe they will put her in that category rather than to give her a gala. Hmm. What about on the basis of sex? All words. On the basis of sex seems like it's going to be more of like a AFI title like later in the mm-hmm. season because it doesn't come out until Christmas. I'm getting the impression altogether that on the basis of sex is not going to perform well with award season. And they're just using yeah. the festivals to give it a little bit of a push into the uh, public consciousness. I saw some reactions when I went to go see Mamma Mia from a crowd that seemed like they would be like fans of RBG and just liberals in general, I guess is the easiest way to put it. And they just did not seem impressed with this. I think she deserves a better movie than this looks to be. Celia, what did you think of the uh, On the Basis of Sex trailer? We talked about it a few episodes ago, but I wanted to get your thoughts. Yeah, I saw it and was a little bit concerned. Um, I think it might be playing a bit too hard into um, 
I don't know, the political climate. Maybe it's just because we've already had an RBG movie this year. And that was so good. Right. Um, that it feels a little bit like the timing is off, a little bit played out. Um, I'll obviously give it a shot, you know, love the people involved. But I, I yeah, I saw the trailer and thought that's going to be, you know, one of those movies that is trying to be Oscar worthy and will fail to be. Yeah. A Star Was Born is playing at both Venice and Toronto. So is Damien Chazelle's uh, follow-up film to La La Land, First Man. Wait, hold up. Let's point out, though, that is bad for A Star Is Born. A lot of us were thinking it could be the one to win it. The fact that they decided mm-hmm. not to go to Telluride. Well, we haven't gotten a Telluride lineup yet. No, but it's not in com- Is it? I don't think it's, it's in competition it's not, at Venice, it, right? Yeah, it's, it's not doing Venice and it's not doing Telluride, we think, right? Um, a Star Is Born is... Is out of competition at Venice. I think they're positioning it first as a commercial play, and they know what's going to do well, and then they'll start doing the award stuff after. They want to get the money, and then they're going to keep it alive after the October debut. And Venice is before TIFF, correct? Yes, that's correct. Where does it where does it land as far as Telluride? Like, when does that happen? Telluride is going to be over to Labor Day weekend. Okay, so it's Venice and then Telluride and then TIFF. Venice will run um, from August 29th till September 8th. Mm-hmm. Telluride will happen in between there. Right. And then TIFF runs from the 6th to the 16th of September. Uh, yeah, it's going to play at uh, Venice. It's going to premiere there and then go to Toronto. And for, after that, it'll just open in theaters on October 5th. Yeah, I mean, because people seem to forget that this is not a December release. Like, this is this is coming, in, like, right away in October. Right. So uh, I would say the big, big thing um, that I realized that I started having red flags about is if Beale Street Could Talk is playing – at Toronto, it's not playing at Venice, and I've been hearing that it's not going to be playing at Telluride either. And the word on the street is that it's because it's not that good. Yeah, no, I mean, like I, you know, I've, I've been saying that for several months now. The the early screenings just said it is a thoroughly average movie. There's nothing Oscar worthy about it. The performances apparently are a lot weaker than the ones he got out of Unknowns and Moonlight. And just that it's it's not a contender anywhere. And I, I think that is a further sign. I think the film's going to come and go. I don't think it's going to be actively bad. I don't think it's going to ruin Barry Jenkins' career or something. I think people are just going to go, oh, that's that's the follow-up to Moonlight. That's okay. And then forget about it. It's going to be and, like an art house here, most likely. Yeah, but like, you know, middle of the road art house. Whatever uh, big takeaways did anybody see from the two announced lineups so far? I'm interested in The Favorite, which we know is going to open NYFF, but it's premiering first in Venice, which makes <sighs> me wonder if it could then go to Telluride, because New York never specified if it's a domestic premiere. No, they did not. Um, it, it's also interesting to note that New York does not have a single premiere yet. Right. Well, there have been years where they just keep re- doing repeats. I think 2014 was like that. Oh, no, they had Gone Girl premiere that year. Never mind. Yeah. So it makes me wonder if there's something else on the horizon that we're not thinking of that could be the closing film at New York that is not on either one of these lists. Well, let's take a look at what's coming up after. Like, it's not going to be, uh, I don't think it's going to be Mary, Queen of Scots. Backseat's probably not going to be ready until AFI. Uh, this is an oddball choice, but just hear me out. I don't think they're going to do it. But what 
if they ended up going with Welcome to Marwen. Oh, I would be so oh, upset. Here's why. God. Here's why I bring it up. Robert Zemeckis has had two of his recent films play as centerpieces at the festival, Flight and The Walk. So they obviously like him. I would be so upset. <laughs> that seems more be... like an AFI pick to me if it's going to play anywhere. But I would yeah. not be stunned. Oh, my God. Maybe Ad Astra if it's ready because James Gray did Lost City of Z a few years ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I could tell you right now we're probably not going to see a rainy day in New York be a centerpiece. But like Wonder Wheel was last year. But that's for very different reasons. Boy Raised, <laughs> maybe? Uh, yeah, it doesn't scream NYFF. That seems like an AFI title. Okay. All right. It's probably just going to be a repeat. But one more thing about the favorite. I said it might pop up at Telluride because he never specified if that's a domestic play at NYFF. But if it goes to Telluride, I see no reason why it shouldn't go to Toronto either. Oh, no. Um, I, I thought they said it was announced for Toronto. The favorite? Or am I getting confused? No, they haven't announced it yet. Okay, gotcha. That could be sure. like the second or third round. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking that if it does those two, it could be like Roma and play all four festivals. I, I think Roma's the only one that's going to have that distinction this year. But could you see the favorite at least going to one more? I could see the favorite doing the Venice and then NYFF and that's it. Um, I don't think it needs to go to one more. I, I get this feeling and I got this feeling from the trailer itself that this is going to be a thing for Yorgos Lanthimos this year in the awards race. Did uh, it- did Fox, is the, have they dropped Can You Ever Forgive Me Anywhere, or are we just kind of yes, totally uh, running Yes, Can off? You Ever Forgive Me will be playing at Toronto. And Telluride. Okay. Ha, wait, that's been confirmed? I mean, this yeah, whole, it, all of us talk about Telluride. It's very, very tough to kind of sift through it. It's just a Canadian premiere at Toronto, so yes, it is going to Telluride. Gotcha. I see. Yeah, the Telluride picks that I uh, sort of read from the tea leaves are going to be First Man, Can You Ever Forgive Me, The Old Man and the Gun, Roma, White Boy Rick, the front runner and Cold War. White Boy Rick is an interesting pick. Yeah, that's uh, from Jan Damage, the director of 71. I, I keep getting the feeling that that's going to be uh, one of those picks that, you know, it plays it, it plays as a festival movie, but it just, I, I can't see that getting great reviews. No, you know what it reminds me of? Black Mass. It opens in mid-September, they yes. use it to launch, and then it just go, sort of goes nowhere from there. Yeah, no, that's a perfect uh, comparison. I agree with you on that. All right. Any other uh, takeaways from the lineups? Um, I'm curious to see Wildlife. I know that we already have a review up for I it. I saw it. Yes. I'm I'm curious to see it uh, myself. And uh, I really think it's one of those that could probably go either way. Yeah. Well, I mean, like... Based on personal taste. I, I think that the reviews for it are going to be solid no matter what. Um, I think in terms of it going either way, the question will be, is it an Oscar contender or is it not? And I do think it stands a possibility of contending for Best Actress for Carrie Mulligan and Best Adapted Screenplay for um, Zoe Kazan and Paul Dano, who also uh, directs this film. It's his first film that he's directed. And I could also see him popping up maybe in first-time DGA uh, as a nominee there. But outside of that, um, I don't really see much else for it. But, I mean, it's Mm -hmm. good. It, it, it was good. I, I enjoyed it. For Solid it debut. Mm-hmm. Very much so. There's a lot of promise there. Okay. Uh, moving on now from that topic. We are now going to move over to our first trailer for uh, this episode. And it's actually a film that is playing at Venice. It is a new film from writer-director Mike Lee. And this one is called Peter Lou. Let's take a look. We are on the brink of liberty. We demand 
that our suffering sees. Now is the time for action. Now! The corrupt order will come crashing down! So why couldn't he direct Waterloo based on that ABBA song? Oh my god, you were holding that in. You, you sneaky bastard. The minute I said we are reviewing Peter Lou for the episode, you were like, I gotta use this line. I gotta. <laughs> I've been saving that up. And are they gonna break out into song at the end? Ugh. It's so cheesy, but I'm I'm like laughing internally, Michael. I, I, really ju- I just will say in, in, in England, this is like in British history, this is like a horrible massacre. So let's let's handle this with like a little bit of respect. Oh please, they did it with Lay Miz. So this is a um this is actually a uh, a teaser. Um you know, one thing that the teaser did is that it definitely did set the mood for that impending massacre. Um what I didn't get from the teaser, though, was I didn't get the idea of there being a central character that we're going to follow through these events. And instead, I got this idea that it could be an ensemble piece surrounded by uh, this historical event. Did everyone else get that impression as well? Yeah, I mean, like yeah. a lot of Mike Lee films are big ensemble pieces, too. I think this is in keeping with that. You know, I hope this is good because he hasn't made a bad movie in... Years and years, if ever. Yeah. You know, he's yeah. a great director. And the fact that we didn't see this at Cannes was concerning to me. I yeah, agree. I mean, it was straight up rejected from Cannes. I, I, I definitely agree with that. It's very... Like, I, got, I want to just tie this back to festivals really quick, but then let's get back to the trailer. Cannes, they look very... I don't want to say foolish right now, but the fact that they turned down certain films from certain directors this year and certain studios, particularly like Netflix, it's very weird to me how, you know, as we talked about earlier, Netflix has this incredible award slate that they wouldn't let, you know, play there. And yeah, then they, you know, turn down other films that are not Netflix by certain revered directors. I, I just wanted to say for the record that I think Can is just looking really foolish this year. Well, anyway, tangent over. Let's get back to the trailer. <laughs> I think the costumes, I think the cinematography, the art direction, all the things that you would expect from a Mike Lee film, I think they look absolutely extraordinary as per usual. Uh, visually, I think it looks really, really fantastic. Well, it's our boy Dick Poop shooting it. Oh, my God. <laughs> that poor guy will never be able to live that down for the rest of his life. So unfortunate. But, I mean... I don't know what I mean, like, did you guys think at least if anything, let's say it's not a um, screenplay picture contender, hypothetically, did you guys at least get the impression that things like the costume, cinematography and art direction could contend? Oh, costumes for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of that uh, Ray Fiennes, Charles Dickens movie a little bit. Uh, Yeah, Invisible Woman. Yeah. Where that scored, I think it was just costumes, but, you know, that seemed pretty locked in there. For the season yeah because we've seen with previous mike lee films before that when he goes period he tends to get those nominations no matter what <laughs> definitely i think i think that costumes is a lock and i would say art direction would be a contender for sure yeah uh anything else guys on it or yeah you know it looks like a big epic mike lee movie and his last one mr turner i thought was astonishing so if you could keep that scope until 
still tell a good story. I see no reason why we should doubt this one unless there's something we don't know about it. Well, we've heard it's we've also heard just word that it's not good in general. That's what I was sort of suggesting. Yeah, I I I think you know, but I think regardless, it's going to show. I think I I'm going to say now at least one tech, at least one, no matter how bad it may be. Hi everyone, this is Tim Costa. I'm Hermano da Silva, and this is Walter Vinci. And together we are the First Time Watchers podcast. Each week we choose a movie to review that none of us has seen. Watch it together, and then discuss. These movies could be new. Or old. Or on our list of shame. You can find us on iTunes by searching for the First Time Watchers podcast. As well as on Stitcher. And we love interacting with our listeners, so if you have any suggestions, send us a tweet. An email. Or post to our Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. That's right. I mean, it's all about interaction. And talk about what we love. Movies. And you don't have to worry about us going on and on about this and that and the other. And oh, no, look, no, no, let's no. talk stop, about stop, this. Stop, 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 shut up, shut up, here. shut up, shut up. And shut I wonder who the guy that can God damn it, shut up. I think that's enough. Oh, God. Time for the polls. You guys ready? It's the end of the month, so we have some winners for our polls and some new ones to announce as well. So this is uh, very, very exciting. This is actually my favorite time when, when it comes to the polls here in Next Best Picture. Let's start off with actually the weekly one first. So last week for Mission Impossible Fallout, which is amazing, by the way, and you all should go to your theater and see it, movie pass or not, um, we asked everyone, which is your favorite Tom Cruise action movie? And we listed a lot of choices, including all of the Mission Impossible films, Minority Report, Collateral, Edge of Tomorrow, Top Gun, War of the Worlds. I mean, you name it, we had it on there. So... Will, I'll start off with you. What do you think the fans voted as their favorite Tom Cruise action film? You guys better have picked Edge of Tomorrow. They probably didn't. It was probably another Mission Impossible film. Um, I am going to say Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. Michael? Favorite Mission Impossible movie? I would go with... No, no, no. Favorite action Tom Cruise action film. Oh, Tom Cruise action movie. Uh, Well, it's probably still going to be one of the Mission Impossibles, and I'm going to have to say... Having not seen Fallout, I'm going to go with Ghost Protocol. Celia? Um, I would have guessed that other people, like the broader audience, would pick Ghost Protocol. But my personal favorite is Edge of Tomorrow. Well, Celia, you are correct. (laughs) We had a tie for first place with 19 votes each. Edge of Tomorrow and Mission Impossible, Ghost Protocol both won the poll. (laughs) <laughs> I'm glad people recognize the Ghost Protocol, at least si- ro- uh, follow being sight unseen. I'm glad people recognize that Ghost Protocol is the best. That film saved the franchise. It is it is magical. In second place with 15 votes is the Michael Mann film Collateral. And then in third place with 11 votes is the Steven Spielberg directed film not War of the Worlds, Minority Report. <laughs> and then beyond that, in uh, fourth place, uh, we had a tie, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, tied with Top Gun. And those each received eight votes. So I- I'd say that the uh, listeners did a really good job over here of uh, recognizing the best of Tom Cruise in the action genre. What do you guys say? I'm a little surprised Top Gun is as low down on the list as it is, but... Uh... That's less because it deserves to be higher and more just because it seems to be very well loved. Well, maybe that'll change with the sequel. Who knows? <laughs> That's true. So this week's poll is tied to the upcoming Christopher Robin film. 
and we are asking everyone which is your favorite movie besides Toy Story. Okay, I had to add that in there. Which is your favorite movie where toys come to life? And the choices are Child's Play, The Indian in the Cupboard, Labyrinth, The Lego Movie, Mr. Megorium's Wonder Emporium, Pinocchio, Poltergeist, Small Soldiers, Ted, and The Velveteen Rabbit. So I'm going to be different here because I know people are probably expecting me to say Pinocchio or something, but I'm actually going to go with Ted, which might surprise some people because I think the first one, not so much the sequel, the first Ted was a legitimately hilarious and original concept that really was pretty well executed. I saw that opening night in theaters and many times since, and it just really, really works. Yeah, that, that's definitely a laugh fest for sure. That, that, that always never fails to bring the house down every time it plays. And the special effects are genuinely amazing. Yeah, no, Ted feels like a real-life, you know, creature, creation, thing. I, I don't know what he is. <laughs> no, it's been six years since I saw it for the first time, of course. But the shot of Giovanni Ribisi dancing in the living room <laughs> forever be funny. Agreed. Uh, what about you, uh, Celia? What, what would be your pick of these options? Um, again, I think I differ from what the popular opinion probably is. I agree with, uh, I agree with Mike. I think that Ted is probably the winner. Although I think my personal favorite would be the Lego movie. I got to stay in it since it got just so snubbed, so snubbed in its release year. Yeah. That, that, that animated feature snub hurts to this day for sure. Yeah. I have to go with an early favorite of mine as a child, and that is Small Soldiers. That movie was and is awesome. I probably watched that thing 30 times as a kid. Me too, Will. Me too. I wore out that VHS copy. I, I had to <laughs> so much. Oh, my gosh. I'll tell you my it's... very quick Small Soldiers story that I've never seen the movie. But back when I would used to go to the library as a kid to borrow movies, we would go to like the kids section and they would have like all these animated titles and small soldiers was there. And I was never allowed to rent it because it was PG-13 in the kids section. <laughs> and I guess they put it in because they thought it was like a kids movie or something about there. Well, like, it you was a kids movie. Except it's this amazing one. that that's a kid. It was a kids movie. You know, like it's uh, it's like the only PG-13 movie I've ever seen. Where they had, you know, VHSs, movies for adults had just like the the VHS slides out of the box, but kids ones were like a clamshell. Yeah. It was in one of those. I mean, it yeah. was released and marketed as a kids movie. It just, I don't think they thought the MPAA was going to crack down on them as hard as they did. But it is pretty violent for a kids movie. I mean. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. Absolutely. But I, I also remember, too, as like a kid, not knowing anything really about movies the way I do today. I remember thinking like after Small Soldiers and Men in Black that like Tommy Lee Jones was like the greatest actor alive because he's so <laughs> cool. Anyway. Yeah, I, that was one of the first movies I ever saw in theaters. I was four years old. I still remember it. It was magical. I still remember the scene where they played the Spice Girls over the I, loudspeaker. That's what I always think of. So tell me what you want. What you want. Oh, my God. Uh, I, I may have to go back and watch Kirsten Dunst is in that movie. Yeah, Kirsten Dunst was in there. Yeah, uh, it was Phil Hartman's last movie. Yeah. Um, uh, Frank Langella. You know, there's there's a lot of good names in there. Yeah. Anyway, all right. That was, a, that was a nice throwback. That was fun. Great movie. All right, so previously um, in the first ha- half of the uh, month, 
we had asked everyone uh, which film should our throwback review for August 2018 be based on. And you all said Black Klansman. So we put a poll up then. All Spike Lee movies for which film we should review on the podcast for the next month of August. Guys, it's a no-brainer. With 48 votes leading at number one, our readers have spoken. They want us to talk about Do the Right Thing. Of course. Mm-hmm. But I do want to just say Malcolm X came in, thir- in second place with 30 votes. Inside Man came in third place with 24 votes, followed by 25th Hour with 10 votes in fourth place. Okay, so now that we're doing Do the Right Thing, I need to make a confession that, I first of all, I love the movie. It's one of the greats of the 80s. But back in the day when Matt and I would used to get into these shouting matches on the show, Whenever he would like start yelling about like me putting the Jungle Book in horror or something like that, I used to picture him as Samuel L. Jackson behind the microphone just screaming. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, it is not a horror film. <laughs> Fight the power. It, that's that's gonna be a lot of fun. You got to introduce it with some public enemy when it comes on too. Yeah, who's our dancer gonna be for that? I don't know. Who's that's our a good Rosie question. Be? Also, that movie is like a who's who of people who would go on to be big. Like, young... Juan Carlo uh, Esposito. Yeah, I know. That's what I was going to... It's crazy. He's bugging out in that movie. Um, and then also young Martin Lawrence is in there. I mean, there's a ton of people who would go on to be big later on. And the optics of that, when it was at the Oscars, that the only nominated actor was Danny Aiello. Who, who is fine in the movie, for the record? It's not oh, that he's, he's great, bad. but it's just like yeah. the optics that here's this groundbreaking piece of African-American filmmaking, and oh, we nominate the Italian Danny Aiello <laughs> as the only representative of the movie. That, that would be like if Lupita Nyong'o and um, Chiwetel Ejiofor didn't get nominated, but Michael Fassbender did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. You're right. That would be that would be awful. In any event, I'm very, very excited to be talking about Do the Right Thing on the podcast. I hope that you all can join us for that. And Celia, have you ever seen it? I have not. It's actually a pretty shameful hole in my in my viewing history. Sadly, um, it's as relevant as it's ever been. And right. We need to fill that hole up. So yes, this is the this is the reason to do so. I especially want to get to it before Black Klansman, like before I manage to see it. I hope so because Black Klansman is coming up pretty quick. I think that's yeah. actually going to be August tenth. It's releasing, so yeah, that'll be here in about two weeks' time. So week from Friday. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's on. It's it's high on the to do list for sure. Okay, so now for September, we're looking forward to see what our next uh, throwback re- film review will be influenced by for uh, September releases, and we have five choices up on here. We have The House with a Clock in Its Walls, the film starring Jack Black, directed by Ellie Roth. Life itself. We have The Nun. We have The Old Man and the Gun, and we have The Predator. Now. I'm going to just put this out there. The Old Man and the Gun is the last film that is going to be starring Robert Redford. Readers, if you are listening to this, I heavily implore you all to pick The Old Man and the Gun so that we can do something pertaining to Robert Redford. (laughs) Watch him choose the Predator now. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I'm afraid of, Will. <laughs> Suddenly the house with the clock in its walls gets 50 votes. <laughs> no, then you have to do Eli Roth when we're watching Hostel for the no, show. No, watch. We should surprise people. If the house with the clock on its walls gets the votes, we should do like Carol because of Cape Blanchett. 
Mm. <laughs> we'll just put like Hostel and Carol like on the same poll, yeah. and readers will just mess with us, and they'll just pick Hostel anyway. <laughs> oh God, no! But seriously, though, I mean, I, I personally, I would love to revisit um, any any Robert Redford film um, to just celebrate him essentially during that month when that film comes out. So particularly uh, indecent proposal. That's that's what we're really pushing for. <laughs> Uh, does anyone else have a preference there, or did, did I just pretty much express everyone's thoughts? No, yeah, I think that's I think that's pretty much where I stand. Okay. And then uh, beyond that, one of my favorite uh, segments that we recently started for our Patreon listeners is Last Best Picture, which is where we take nominees and winners of the Best Picture Academy Award. We put them into a randomizer. We get 10 choices each month. Everyone votes. And then whatever wins that vote, we go on and we do a review of that. Our review of Casablanca will actually be going up the day after this podcast goes up. Michael and I had a really, really fascinating conversation around that film. It was really, really great to revisit that one. It's such a classic, and this is just a great opportunity to be able to revisit uh, classics and uh, examine their awards history and look at the other films that they were up against. And then, um, I mean, like, you know, I'm, I'm just gushing at this point. I really, really love, uh, ever since we started doing this, I really, really love this segment a lot, so... It's time to find out. This is the first time I'm looking at these results. Time to find out what our next review will be for Last Best Picture. So for the month of August, our choices were Four Daughters, Giant, The Guns of Navarone, Lenny, The More the Merrier, Midnight Cowboy, Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, The Silence of the Lambs, The Sundowners, and Whiplash. What does everyone think won the poll? As soon as his taker once tried to test me, I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. <laughs> that was really good, Will, with the sound, actually. Uh, Michael? She puts the lotion in the basket. Celia? Um, I, yep, Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> 91 votes to 84 votes. The top two are The Silence of the Lambs and Whiplash. Which one of those two? We all still say Silence of the Lambs? Yeah. Yeah. If they didn't, they're stupid. Hello, Clarice. The winner (laughs) is The Silence of the Lambs. Such a good movie. Such a wonderful movie. I saw that in theaters last year with a sold-out crowd back in October. It's probably, I don't know what number of viewing that was for me but it's just so great to see yet again love that's that shot where she's standing in the elevator just surrounded by all the men is such a great bit of visual storytelling jonathan demi was one of the best oh yeah i am so excited to not only pop in my newly upgraded criterion collection dvd up not dvd blu-ray of the sounds of the lambs and rewatch this classic film. I'm also very excited to look at it now through the lens of what a great storyteller Jonathan Demi was. Like you said, uh, Michael, now that he's no longer with us. Um, this will actually be, um, since his passing, the first film of his that I watch uh, since then. So I'm very, very much looking at it through that lens. Um, I hope to devour every single special feature, commentary, everything I can on this film. Uh, I just want to kind of just soak myself in it essentially because <laughs> it, it, it this is this is one of those films that like 
from the moment it came out, was considered a classic right away. And for the dear readers out there, for all of you that voted for Whiplash, you guys came very, very close to the point where if it ever pops up in another one of these again, I kind of have no doubt in my mind that it's going to win. (laughs) But, alas, you guys came close next time. Uh, In third place was Midnight Cowboy Dell with 44 votes. In fourth place was Giant with 22 votes. And in fifth place was Lenny with 15 votes. So all around, lots and lots of votes to go. And uh, I'm very, very pleased with the winner here. Um, Oh, I really, God, I I really, really hope we can all like get together and talk about this one. Like I kind of want to get all 16 members of Next Best Picture on because this film is just so incredible. Yeah, there's so much to get to dig into. It's going to be a great podcast for sure. Okay, so now uh, for Last Best Picture, uh, the next poll, the 10 randomly selected Best Picture nominees and winners are The Conversation, The Graduate, Great Expectations, The Guns of Navarone, coming back uh, from the previous list onto this one, Les Miserables, Nicholas and Alexandra, On the Waterfront, the piano, the right stuff, and the social network. Oh my god, what a stacked list. So do we all have a favorite here that we're rooting for? That's tough, honestly. That that is a tough lineup. I have mine. And it's not lame is, so surprise wow. to anyone who thinks otherwise. <laughs> I would love to talk about the graduate, which is an all-time favorite of mine, Mike Nichols. Michael, that is a uh, I'm not I'm not kidding when I say this. That is top 10 greatest films I've ever seen in my entire life. And in my person, like it's in my personal top 10 of all time. So as much as I love the social network and I, it was my number one film that year. I think it's a perfect film in every single way. I I got it. I got to say, yeah, the, the graduate man all the way. I mean, I just wrote about the graduate a little bit in the, in the piece that went up last week about uh, Oscar Oscar nominees early in their careers and it would be it would be great but man on the waterfront boy does that hold up <laughs> you know? not to mention I you know lately there has been a trend on uh, last best picture of the winners being best picture winners mm-hmm. so of the selections that are here I, I could see a world where on the waterfront does win the entire poll right what about you will which one would you prefer and which one do you think is going to win I prefer as a film The Social Network because I enjoy it, but I also think because it's so recent and every young film fan out there loves that film, it's already had a billion think pieces written about it. Not that The Graduate hasn't, but I think it would be a fresher thing for us to do, to do The Graduate. Because mm-hmm. everybody, you know, like everybody knows that Matt and I are obsessed with The Social Network and we've talked about it plenty on the show. I think The Graduate is something we have not mentioned much on the show. No. Okay. So we're all unanimous that uh, The Graduate, uh, but also uh, on the waterfront for some consideration. I'd also like to throw out, too, like The Right Stuff. Yeah. Uh, That would be awesome to revisit. You know, as an added incentive for voting for The Graduate, I will make a promise here and now that if we get to talk about it, Simon and Garfunkel will join us on the podcast. (laughs) I will make that happen. Uh, yeah. How are you pulling this off? What? <laughs> you just wait and see. They are going to reunite just for us. Oh, my God. Okay. 
those are our polls uh, for the next month and uh, the next week. So everyone head over, over to the poll section of nextbestpicture.com and cast your votes on there. All right. Last trailer for this episode. It is the directorial debut of Oscar nominee Jonah Hill. It is Two-time my, Oscar nominee. Oh, excuse me. Two-time Oscar nominee Jonah Hill, everyone. And it is also being distributed by A24. This film is called Mid-90s. Before guys become dicks. Oh, oh, Yo, what bad. the fuck? Oh, shit. You think you're pretty cool. Your ghetto ass friends. You good? Uh. You think you're tough and shit. You're just a little fucking kid. A lot of the time, we feel like our lives are the worst. But think if you looked at anybody else's closet, you wouldn't trade your shit for their shit. So let's go. While we ride a piece of wood, like what that does to somebody's spirit. Stevie, what the fuck are you doing? Yo, Stevie fucking insane. (laughs) So this is his lady bird, I guess. Can I, I knew that was going to be the first thing that somebody said. I, I, I want to just, like, say for the record, can we stop comparing every single indie slice-of-life film to Lady Bird? I love yeah, how you say they, that, and then when you saw 8th grade, you're like, oh my god, it's this year's Lady Bird. I, I, but no, because I'm victim of it, too, by doing that as well, but I, I've just been hearing it now about every single, like, film that keeps coming out with a new trailer, or people keep hearing about it. And I, I just like this is though. I mean, think about yeah. it. It is it is a Scott Rudin produced a twenty four film that is a slice of life, uh, coming of age film set roughly twenty years ago. That is the directorial debut of an actor who has previously been primarily known for comedy, more yeah. so than uh, than with than Lucas like Hedges. With Lucas Hedges <laughs> and and, yeah. and uh, the directed by the brother of Beanie Feldstein. I mean, it is it All is right. a lot very ladybird. Yeah, and even stylistically, just looking at it, you know, Ladybird was famous for its the middle class vibes, very track, very similar between the two. I think it's a fair comparison in this case. Now, the difference here is that I don't think this looks nearly as special as Lady Bird. You know what it reminds me of, actually, um, when you say that, Michael? It actually reminds me of Kids. 
the Harmony Corinne film. Okay. A lot of people have made that comparison, yeah. Yeah. It's definitely darker than Lady Bird, for sure. You know, I don't know if this is going to be something I necessarily love, but, you know, Lucas Hedges, I think, is a terrific actor. I'm excited to see anything he's in. And Jonah Hill is a talented guy, as we've seen over the years. So, you know, this could be something good. Scott Rudin tends to attach himself to quality projects. I think it'll be be good. I think it'll be good. I don't know if it'll be Oscar good, but I think it'll be a strong debut for sure. That That's my thought process as well. I, I don't see this being an Oscar play just based on the trailer that we've seen so far. It looks a little too, looks a little too rough, I guess would be the word I would use for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could Is see Is anyone it. getting a little OD'd on Lucas Hedges because he's in every indie project out there right now basically no, no because not he's not the he's lead the, in them in my opinion he's got the best agent in hollywood right now yeah i mean he's I would, insane yeah. how many projects he's been attached to look who his father is his father's a famous director yeah so i would sure agree except for except for i'm so excited for everything timothy chalamet is doing and i feel like i i can't judge him for doing what every young actor who got a strong debut does which is do whatever they can that will probably be good yeah no seriously will it's like you're hating on the guy for wanting to have a good career (laughs) (laughs) oh i'm not hating on him i i I, i'm not even saying i am i was just talking to someone yesterday who was going on about that they're od'd on him for being in every indie film out there right now but it's like i don't know why somebody would say that because it's, it's like we haven't seen the movies these indie films that are coming out with him in it we've only seen trailers and it's like I, I mean, I, I guess if like I, I will admit on the flip side is I'm OD'd on Timothy Chalamet, but that's not because of his work or the projects that he's choosing. It's because of the fans. Because of the fan base. Yeah, exactly. And I don't think that Lucas Hedges has nearly the kind of fan base that Timothy Chalamet seems to have, especially online. Right. So, uh, no, I wouldn't say that I'm ODing on him at all. I, I think that he's choosing his projects very wisely. And I think that each project that he chooses showcases a different level of range that is making him out to be one of the more exciting actors of today. I think I think he definitely has it feels like he has a brand he's trying to build, you know, as a little bit of a of an indie boy. Yeah, definitely trying to build up a quality of work centered around that for sure. Um but let's also talk about like this uh the the kid here who's actually the lead. Uh he, we saw him in uh The Killing of a Secret Deer last year. This is um Sunny Suljic. His name oh, is. Oh, that's that kid. God, I hardly recognized him. Mm-hmm. I blocked that movie from my memory. Yeah, well, uh, that third act was definitely traumatizing for sure. I <laughs> haven't seen it. Uh, and also, too, Catherine Waterston is in this. Uh, another uh, actress who, uh, you know, she's like one of those people now that the minute she attaches herself to a project, I'm instantly like, okay, that's going to be worth seeing because she's in it. For me, that that was Gerard Carmichael. When I saw him in the trailer, I was like, gotta see it. Oh, wait a minute. Hold on a second. Maybe I'm confusing him with someone else. What has he been in? Um, I mean, he's a comedian. He did the Carmichael show. He was in Neighbors as well. Yeah. And okay. he, he has a few stand-up specials. And I think he's good. I like his style. Disaster Artist. Uh, he's in like a lot of those comedies. So the question I think we should all just be asking ourselves then is this. With Scott Rutten attached, with Jonah Hill writing and directing, with A24 distributing, with an October 19th release, release date, and based on what we've seen so far in the trailer itself, is this a stealth Oscar contender that we are not expecting, 
or is it just going to be either a well-received or not so well-received indie film that doesn't have any Oscar traction? It'll be a well-received indie film that'll help Jonah Hill get a bigger gig down the line. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Michael, do you agree? Yeah, it's probably going to be more well-received than awards player, but, you know, that could be a good thing, too. Not everything needs to break through to Oscars the first time around. I I actually agree with that. I I, I think that if this leads to Jonah Hill directing uh, more and he does then eventually get that one project that could bring him to the dance later on. I mean, the guy's guy's already got two nominations under his belt. Clearly, he's uh, liked within the Academy. So I, I am very curious to see how this does play out with, you know, the award season coming up, maybe it's, uh, you know, maybe it's just a screenplay contender. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what I was going to say is if anything, you know, obviously we can't really tell until we watch it. Um, but I bet that at most they'd give him a nod for screenplay since it's him also writing it. Yeah. Cause it doesn't seem to have that kind of a hook to it. Um, that other, projects this year um have had uh, as far as like being on like the indie scene and not really one of the big studio films it, it just looks too personal and too small and i, I don't really see I, and i guess this is where the ladybird uh comparisons come from again i don't really see the importance of the story but like on a social level so much mm-hmm. so i i fail to see how this will translate to award season right now at this time however i do think it has the potential to be very well received and like you said well give jonah hill that next gig so the 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 social relevance would be at least in the official description that when stevie befriends a crew of skateboarders he learns some tough lessons about class race and privilege although while those may be there i don't know if people will flock to these lessons as important as they could be because it's being directed by a rich straight white dude. That, that, that's right. exactly. Yes. Yes. You, you just said it perfectly. Yep. Yeah. yeah. It's a lot easier to back a, a film about, you know, a young girl learning how to navigate growing up when it's directed and written by a woman who did the exact same thing than if there was no previous experience there. Okay. Last segment of the show, uh, Will Mavity, take us home, man. What happened this week in the film industry? Oh, there's a couple big things. I first off want to mention that Disney and Fox's merger is official. It's happening, and uh, thousands of people are going to lose their jobs. And it's worth considering that whenever anyone's like, oh, my God, X-Men are going to join the Avengers. Yes, they are. And in a lot of ways, this is not good for the film industry. Uh, it's Fox is an iconic company, and it's something the end of an era. I don't understand how Disney, because they've said they're going to let Fox Searchlight do what they do, essentially. I don't see how Fox Searchlight can continue to do what it is that they do underneath the Disney umbrella that is willing to fire filmmakers over you know tweets that they apologized over and stuff like that like how were they going to be able to put out edgy content at all Uh, my guess is they may literally keep calling it fox searchlight and try to disassociate themselves from it as much as possible and just take the money when it comes but you know that that is a good point but also the Avengers specifically is such a family brand in mm-hmm. the first place. It's not just that Disney was releasing it. It's just it's also this is a brand we associate with children. So yeah. I, that may not ap- apply to Searchlight. I mean, I think a lot of 
from what I've heard, they've told the Searchlight people, just keep doing what you're doing. It, it won't cost them a lot of money, you know, like the overhead for Searchlight, I doubt will be that high because most of the projects aren't very big budget. You know, a lot of them are just buying from Film Fest. I mean, I, I think Searchlight will be okay. I just I just hope so, because living in a world where Searchlight's not able to put out something like uh, Three Billboards, for example, you know, and has to resort to uh, PG like rated material or something like that. I, I, I just, uh, I feel like it's very limiting for storytellers out there, but I, I hope that doesn't happen. I was just going to say like, weirdly, I'm less worried about maybe the content that they're pushing out. You know, I, I think that they'll still make quote unquote edgy things. Um, but I am worried about the voices that are telling those stories, you know, specifically relating to the James Gunn thing. You know, maybe they'll just, I could see them being super picky with who they choose to hire and uh, mm. kind of maybe not giving as many chances to riskier investments. And that would be where my concern is. I'm not really worried about the end content, if that distinction makes sense. You're worried about them basically ruling with an iron fist, essentially, and having like their fingers all yeah, all in the, uh, the, the, the uh, too many cooks in the kitchen scenario, basically. Essentially, yeah. yeah. But I, I think part of the reason Disney, again, has too many cooks in the kitchen and is engaged and we're firing you if you don't fit our vision for, you know, what they've done on like the Star Wars films and stuff. Right. Because each of those movies had hundreds of millions of dollars riding on them, whereas like The Shape of Water costs $20 million. Not that $20 million isn't a lot of money, but in the grand scheme of things, I think they're going to be more willing to continue to give the directors leeway if they can keep the budgets low like they've been doing. Yeah, that's fair. That's probably true. Uh, next piece of news, movie pass. Could be the last days of Movie Pass. What a week. They literally shut down last Thursday, basically, because um, they ran out of money. They had to borrow $5 million just to be able to pay for people's tickets for the weekend. And now they're doing surcharges for things like blind spotting, and uh, they're, they're not even allowing you. To, yeah, in eighth grade, they're not allowing you to access showings for things like Leave No Trace. I mean, it, it, and people are just tweeting nonstop about this is the death knell for MoviePass. And I have to imagine doing things like that are going to continue to make a lot of people cancel their, their subscriptions. It may be coming from necessity, but it's going to piss people off. I do expect MoviePass to be reaching the end of its days. I genuinely don't think it'll make it to the end of the year. See, I feel a little differently about this, and I'll tell you why. MoviePass was an established company before all these people jumped on board last year when they introduced their $9.95 pricing. Like when I first started, it was $30 a month, which is still cheap, but you know, they could be making more of a profit there. So I think if they go back to the older model or start introducing different tiers of pricing, they could survive by, you know, maybe laying out a few more regulations, but there's a way for them to stay in business. People won't like it, but I mean, hey, look at all the things you're getting out of it. The biggest mistake that MoviePass ever made was thinking that if they introduced something like this, that people would go to the movies once a week. No, you introduce something like this, movie lovers who don't really do anything other than watch movies, you know, 
case in point myself, like if I wasn't running Next Best Picture, I would be at the movies all the freaking time. Nerd! Yeah, but you know how many people like are out there? I think they underestimated how much the service would get used and how much they would actually have to pay out for these tickets. And to, um, to Michael's point, yeah, I don't think it would have been such a bad idea if they had just introduced even the new tiers, increased the pricing to help compensate for that even just a little bit. But they've been hoping that they would get bought out or that somebody would pay for the uh, subscription uh, information that they've gathered um, based on the uh, movie-going habits of their subscribers. But it hasn't happened. And they are just struggling to stay above water now. Yeah, and if I recall, at least from what I read, even if uh, they went back to that $30 a month model, I don't think that they were profitable even at that point, correct? They were trying, like, they realized they needed more subscribers, and that's why they reduced the uh, cost so low. They thought they would just hit such a wide base that it would pay off in the end. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. I think the goal was to get to 5 million subscribers. So even if they went back to the old model, so many people would jump ship because they weren't willing to pay that price then and they wouldn't be now that I think they're kind of just like, you know, stuck. There's really no winning for them at this point. They've lost so much money. They've just dug themselves deeper into their hole. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good program depending on <clears throat> depending on how much you see in a month because there was a time when they were at $99 a month and a lot of people jumped off board. But if you look at how many movies you could get from that pricing, like if you go, let's say, 10 to 15 times a month, it still benefits to have that when tickets are 13 to $14. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it all depends on how much you're going to go, how much you're going to get out of the system. And they probably weren't banking, literally banking, on uh, how often people were going to go with this 995 pricing. And that's their problem right now. All right. Um, those are the main discussion point ones. So Steve Zalian is, you know, who co-wrote Moneyball and who wrote Schindler's List is developing a film about the hunt for the guy who was sending anthrax letters back in the aftermath of 9-11. Um, we're finally getting a Deadwood movie. It is moving into production this fall after like 13 years of rumors about that and uh, it is game of thrones dan minahan directing this feature i assume they'll probably be able to get the whole cast other than sadly powers booth back so i'm very excited i love that show also coming back mark hamill is returning to star wars episode nine even though he very clearly died i guess he's a force ghost is anyone surprised by that at all they I were going to have to have him in it somehow, even if it's for a like quick cameo. You have uh, Alec Guinness come back as a Force ghost. You know, I mean, like, yeah, th- like this is not surprising. What's more surprising is Carrie Fisher. Yeah. And they will not be CGIing her like they did Peter Cushing. I guess they determined that was disrespectful, and I think it would have been. Uh, instead, they apparently shot a lot of unused footage from The Force Awakens that they'll be editing into the film to – give her her character a dignified send-off, which I think we're all very grateful for. It would have been weird just to completely start the film and say, oh, yeah, she just died in between movies, especially if there's not a big time jump. I was going to say, that would have been the only thing that they could have done to explain that would have been a time jump. That was always my impression for what they were going to do. 
So this is great news, like you said, and we should we should be rejoicing about this. And even the haters out there, you know who you are. Uh, this is fantastic. So shut up yeah. and pay pay a ticket to go see this when it comes out. <laughs> Finally, yeah. I'm very excited with this one. Billy D. Williams is coming back as Lando Calrissian. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And it should be noted on the Carrie Fisher front that they did receive permission from her daughter to use that footage. So it's not like, yes. you know, the CG is also was, you know, kind of gross and weird from the beginning. But even this, which isn't ethically ambiguous to me, even this, they made sure to get family permission to do all that. Uh, next, Ray Romano, Allison Janney, and Hugh Jackman are going to be in a new film called Bad Education from the director of Thoroughbreds. We know literally nothing about the plot, but that is definitely an intriguing cast. No, we, we know say? a little bit about the plot, actually. It's something about a school board, I believe. <laughs> well, yeah, okay. Let me rephrase that. We know a little bit, but it's very vague. It's based in part by real on the author's real life, the writer's real life experiences, but it is school related and that's about all we know, but it's an interesting cast. And I didn't personally love Thoroughbreds, but it definitely showed some interesting directorial chops. So I'm intrigued to see more from that director. Warner Brothers, after spending like 160 million on the Jungle Book remake, Mowgli, Andy Serkis's The Darkest Jungle Book, yeah, just shuffled it off to Netflix. So that's not a good sign. That's concerning. Yeah, that that just goes to show you that they had absolutely no confidence in this whatsoever. If I, I gotta say, like, I, I don't know, I don't know how I would feel if I was Andy Serkis. On one hand, maybe even more people are gonna get to see it now that it's going to Netflix. But on the other hand, that's gotta be that's gotta be considered a slap in the face. What we forget is this film was also supposed to come out in 2016 along with the previous Jungle Book. It was slated for a fall 2016 release. It was like October 2016. And then they delayed it to October 2017. And then they delayed it again to October 2018. And now it's getting delayed to an unknown point in 2019. I mean, this has been a troubling project from the start, I feel this like. Is, this is the new tulip fever, honestly. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, Michael brought up a great point in our uh, online discussion the other day. Uh, he, Michael, do you remember what you said about Andy Serkis as a director in the online yeah, discussion? Yeah, it's not off to a great start, his directorial career, if anybody remembers Breathe from last year. The truth is I really don't remember anything about Breathe, to be honest with you. <laughs> And also the the Battle of Five Armies, though he's not officially credited, he basically directed that, and that was uh, not great. So I really, really like Andy Serkis as an actor, but uh, maybe this whole directing thing wasn't meant to be. Um, speaking of other Commonwealthers, Patrick Ness, who wrote the book source for A Monster Calls, and I guess he actually adapted the screenplay, and who wrote uh, the upcoming Chaos Walking is writing a Rumpelstiltskin movie for Peter Dinklage to star in. Ooh, that's going to be fun. It might not be good, but it'll be fun. <laughs> yes. yes. Um, speaking of things that might not be good but could be fun, Robert De Niro has joined Joaquin Phoenix in this standalone The Joker movie. Why are they giving me more reasons to check this out? Why? I hate it. I, like, I, I, I swore I was not going to you know, do anything to 
Ah, DC, what the, what is wrong with them? <laughs> I don't think Phoenix would have signed on to a project unless he thought the script was something kind of interesting. May not be good, but at least unique. Because Phoenix doesn't sign on to mainstream studio films, really. You know, I, I think we have to assume there's something there. Now, Todd Phillips is now, hasn't impressed me as a director since the first Hangover, but I'm mildly intrigued. I would say maybe he's broke, but then De Niro signed on, so. Well, De Niro, but De Niro signs on to anything. He's He's been in, like, two good movies this century, so. He did do The Intern. You can't really trust him after that. <laughs> a dirty Grandpa. I mean, some of the stuff is rough. And then finally, Hamilton is getting fought over for millions of dollars. Somebody is going to release Hamilton for a theatrical run, just a 2016 recorded production of it. And Mike and I were discussing whether or not it would be Oscar eligible for any categories. And I think the conclusion we've come to, not that it will get nominated, but is that because the heaven, the Kevin Hart stand-up films were Oscar eligible and they were just recorded stand-ups, this probably would be too. That's so crazy. I don't know why they wouldn't uh, release it on television and try to get Emmys out of it, actually. Thoughts, Mike? You know, I don't know what's going to happen with this. It might be eligible, but even if it is, I can't see it breaking in just because of what the nature of the piece is. If Hamilton does indeed end up at the Oscars one day, it won't be until we get an actual film adaptation. I agree. Which will happen and that will be long. coming. Yeah. I mean, Miranda is doing everything. He's attached to like nine different projects right now. So Hamilton is not far away. And uh, that is it for news this week. Okay. Awesome. Well, everyone that has been episode 101 of the Next Best Picture podcast, Celia. We thank you for joining us for your first episode. We hope for many more. Yeah, thank you. I had such a good time. I'm sorry if uh, if I made some bad first impressions at the top. <laughs> Not at all. No, you're totally fine. Don't worry about it. We've all we've all been there. Believe me. <laughs> Those shouting matches that Michael alluded to can be re-listened to if you go back deep in the archives of the show. So. Oh, great. I'll make sure to do that. Back in our early days. <laughs> we, we've, we, we've all had our moments, for sure. Don't worry about it. In any event, we're very, very happy to have you. And with that said, tell everyone where they can find you on the internet. You can find me on Twitter and on Letterboxd at Films Unstuck. All right. Michael? You can find me on Twitter at Mike Movie. Will? Find me on Twitter at Mavericks Movies. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 101 of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, and also on CastBox. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think of the show. And also, too, if you're feeling very, very supportive, head on over to our Patreon page, where for $1 minimum a month, you can get some exclusive podcast content, some of which we described a little bit earlier on in the episode during the poll section. Thank you so much, as always. We shall see you all next time. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. 
computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.